Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Here's what we've established so far. Last night, uh, we, we titled this, these two messages, Know Your Place. Know your place. Typically, when someone tells you know your place, it's in a condescending, you know, don't get too haughty, don't get too prideful, don't get too big of yourself. But when God says know your place, he means rise to the potential, rise to the capacity, rise to who you really are. But you cannot know your place until you know the place. You cannot know your place until you know the place. And the place we're talking about is not just Christianity. The place we're talking about is not just mere uh, religious practice and formality. The, the, the place we're talking about is a place called the kingdom of God. The place is the kingdom. And the kingdom is not a place like one of many places. It is the kingdom. The only kingdom where you belong. And the kingdom of God is what God has desired from the beginning of time to invade and intervene in this realm. And we'll look at some things a little deeper tonight. We, I'm going to endeavor to teach and to get some of these foundational principles in because there's an understanding and a revelation that we've got to walk in. Revival, we, we prayed this out today at 530. Those of you that were with us, thank you so much for coming and praying with us. We were praying in here, and the, words, uh, the, the word of the Lord came and said this, that revival in a community begins with revelation in the heart. Revival in a community begins with revelation. See, when you see revival taking place, you can know that there's been a lot of back work in the behind the scenes, in closets, in sanctuaries, and prayer rooms taking place way before you ever see the first sign, wonder, or miracle. Know that somebody has been on their knees. Somebody's been warring in the heavenly. Somebody has been praying on the behalf of a community or a city. Someone's been standing in the gap and say, Lord, we're not done. We're not done with Valdosta yet. There's still more you're going to do. You got to be the Moses to stand in the gap and say, don't wipe them out. There's more to accomplish. So you see revival taking place out there. No, something's been happening in here. It's called revelation. It's called insight by the Spirit of God. It's called an awareness and an arising to who we are. Revival isn't because God took off some years and said, I'm not going to do any signs and wonders, but I'll show up at revival. No, revival is just you and I becoming aware of what he's already doing. That's all it is. That's all it is. It's just an awareness. Revival can happen as soon as you become aware of what he's doing. And that's called revelation. Revelation in the heart leads the way, blazes the trail for revival in communities. You study any revival and you'll find that there were people, maybe a person, warring in the heavenlies for that community. So this is what we established. Number one, God is a king and he rules over a kingdom. God is a king and he rules over a kingdom. This kingdom is his rule and dominion. 
This kingdom is his rule and his dominion. You can simply put it this way. God's kingdom is his way of doing things. It's his way of doing. This is how he operates. This is how he behaves. This is how he speaks. This is how he works. This is how he responds to things. It's God's kingdom. And so this is his mode of operation, if you will. It's his way of doing things. We said this, that God's kingdom is uh, revealed in these three ways. His presence, his power, and his provision. We said that God's kingdom is revealed by his presence. He's evident. His power. And you know when the power of God shows up on something, nothing can stand in the way of that. One of my pastors, Pastor Kenneth E. Hagan, uh, he, he put it this way. When the natural comes into contact with the supernatural, one of them's got to give. It's probably not going to be the supernatural. You know, people ask me, is that, is that falling under the power stuff? Is that, really, is that really biblical? Well, you know, you're probably not going to find it in the Bible. I'm just going to be honest with you. But this is what I do know. There has been moments where the power of God has been so strong on my life, my physical body cannot stand to remain in the posture it was. Whether I fall to my knees, whether I fall on my back, whether I give way to weeping that I can't control, laughing that I can't control, dancing. Sure, you can flip it and you can stand, but why would you want to? Why would I want to stand in the way of what God is trying to do? And so it's just the natural coming in contact with the supernatural, and one of them's going to give. One of them's going to have to give way. And when, you, when your heart is in a posture of, Lord, whatever you want, well, then my legs may buckle. Come on. I may end up on my knees, may end up on my back. I don't care. We were at a, a, a service a couple of weeks ago, and Camden was with us, and people, a, a few people fell out, and he, he just looked at me. And he said, why are those people sleeping? It's not supposed to sleep in church. And I said, well, this is what I told him. I said, well, you know, when someone goes in for surgery or an operation, they're, they're laying and they're fully yielded to the work of the surgeon. And so I said, they're just, the Lord's working on them. And so they're just in a posture where the Lord's working on them. He's just working. And so they're just, they're just yielded. You're, you're hearing. You don't know what God's showing them, visions, he's, what, what he's telling them, what he's speaking. You can walk up a completely, tra- you can get up, wake up a completely transformed person. It's, it's just the natural coming into contact with the supernatural. It's his presence, it's his power, it's his provision. That means everything that is available to you in heaven is available to you here. Not just money, we're talking about healing. We're talking about validation. You know how many people on this planet are walking around with no identity, no no self-worth, no value for their life? Because they haven't come into contact with the kingdom. You cannot come into contact with the king of kings and the lord of lords and walk away without knowing who you are. With a with a devaluation of your life. I'm just this or I'm just that. It's impossible. When you recognize I'm not just a stay-at-home mother, I am literally bringing the kingdom into my home for my kids. It it changes everything. So it brings with it the kingdom, the presence, the power, 
and the provision of the kingdom. The kingdom is spiritual in nature. We saw this. The kingdom is spiritual in nature, but it is real, it is measurable, and it is now. Those three things are important. The kingdom of God is spiritual in nature, meaning I can't see it with my physical eyes. I cannot give you an address location. I can't geotag it. I can't put it in Google Maps, the kingdom of God. It's not going to work that way. It is spiritual in nature. But that does not mean it's not real. That does not mean it is not measurable, meaning it's got an extent of it. And it doesn't mean that it's not happening right now where we are. It's happening right now. The kingdom of God is operating right now. I told you that the only reason we don't walk in it is because of a lack of awareness of it. Revelation. But the kingdom of God, although spiritual, you know, the Bible tells us that what is not seen is more real than what is seen. So don't let your natural eyes fool you. The Lord's been taking our church through a journey really since about Thanksgiving time or so uh, of just opening our eyes to the spiritual matters of God, not just these natural things all the time. That we have to awaken our spiritual senses, our spiritual eyes, if you will. That's why Paul wrote to the church in Ephesians and said, I pray that they would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That their eyes of their understanding be enlightened. Not intellect, not mental reasoning, not mental capacity to hold knowledge. A a spiritual uh, awareness and recognition on the inside of what God is doing, how he's operating. And the last point that we kind of drove home last night, God intended for his spiritual kingdom to invade and intervene in this natural realm. I'll say that again. God intended for his spiritual kingdom to invade and intervene in this natural realm. It was not his intention that the spiritual kingdom of God remains separate from the natural realm of humanity. He expected that the spiritual invade the natural. The spiritual altered the natural to look like the spiritual and be a natural reflection of the spiritual. This was God's intention from the beginning. When God created the earth in Genesis chapter 1, he had every intention and desire that the earth look like heaven, that the seen be a reflection of the unseen, that the natural be a reflection of the spiritual. Y'all with me? God wasn't just up in heaven bored one day and said, there's nothing to do around here. Let's create an earth. No, because one thing about kings, when you get to know kings, one thing they love to do is expand. Kings love nothing more than expanding territory, taking territory, advancing territory. A king's power is known by the territory that is under his control. And so he said, you know what? We're going to extend this spiritual realm of heaven into this natural realm called earth. I intend, I expect that the way we do things up here is the way things will be done down there. And it's going to operate in a natural capacity that is seen with these natural eyes. But it's going to be a reflection of the unseen. 
And that paradise, that Garden of Eden and the earth at that time was a reflection of what heaven looked like. And so this kingdom was designed to intervene and to invade and to be uh, um, extended into this earthly realm. The ultimate goal of all this is that every time you look at your Bible, every time you hear a word preached, every time you get into any kind of dialogue, discussion, reading, hearing, um, receiving of the word of God, that you only see it through the lens of the kingdom. This is the biggest mistake that people make with the kingdom message, is that they make it an element of the Bible rather than the thing that the Bible ought to be seen through. This is not just a message like we can preach on faith, we can preach on the Holy Spirit, we can preach on the love of God, we can preach on peace, we can preach on the kingdom. We have to recognize that faith, Holy Spirit, prayer, peace, uh, uh, love of God, all that has to be filtered through the kingdom. What I would desire for you, if I could have it my way, as a pastor, if I could get up here and say, you know, what is the number one thing I want for my people? It's that you would always see the kingdom from beginning to end. Genesis to Revelation. You'll always see that there's a king, a kingdom, and royal offspring, kings, children, you and I, in this earth. And every time that there is never a separation now, you got to be super intentional with that. I, I've, been, I've heard the kingdom message in this form since June of 2009, and, and there have been times I've caught myself and said, oh, I've, I've wandered from kingdom. This is not a religious book. This actually is a government document. Y'all ever heard of the Declaration of Independence? Y'all ever heard of the, um, the Constitution? You know, all the things that tell us our rights and, and, and how this country was found. Those are government, those are official government documents that outline the expectations and the intentions and the purposes of this country. And every person that lives in this realm lives in the United States of America. Well, this book is no different. This is not just merely a religious book. Um, I, I, you know, one of our favorite ones, this is God's love letter to his people. This ain't a love letter. This ain't just God thinking, I'm going to pen my, 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 my children or, or my bride a, a, a little letter. No, this is official government business. This establishes laws. This establishes standards. This establishes structures. This establishes what a citizen looks like. This, is, this establishes what those opposed to the citizenship and opposed to the kingdom look like. What happens to that? This is an official government document. And if I could pray one thing tonight and, and, and it be answered, it's that you would never read this with the separation of kingdom in Bible. You'll recognize that this is literally the establishment of a government, an establishment of a people within that government that is now ruling and reigning in this capacity. And so that's why we're doing Kingdom Rise weekends. It's because it, it demands the emphasis. 
If I try to package this in a Sunday morning or even on a Wednesday night, things that we regularly do, things that we routinely do, we're not going to get it. But now that you have taken, made the sacrifice to be here on a Friday night, Saturday night, football games going on, it's your weekend, you could be doing all kinds of stuff you want to do, but you're in the house of God. You have set yourself to dive deeper, go further. Now we've got the presentation and the package that we can unveil the kingdom of God and your hearts are set, ready to receive that. Because Matthew chapter 13 does not give us a lot of hope. The parable of the sower does not give us a lot of hope. I mean, us pastors, you know, 25%? One out of four is what I can expect to be fruitful from a word that was sown, a seed that was sown? There's some going to fall by the wayside. You're going to have some in their church say, yes, pastor, hallelujah, I received that. And then trials and tribulations are going to knock them down. You're going to get a phone call from them three days later. Or the deceitfulness of riches, God brings them blessing, but then the blessing takes them away from the house. Haven't seen you since you got that job. Haven't seen you since you got that promotion. Where you been? The next time you see them is when they're broken. Somebody once told me that the church is a hospital for the sick. Well, I've asked myself the question, when do people go to the hospital? When they're sick. When do people leave the hospital? When they get better. No wonder we see people come in broken. We get them all better and they walk back out the door. And then we see them when they're sick again. Like we're an ER. God wants to get the church beyond just being a hospital for the sick. Beyond being the ER. It wants this to be the education center that we learn and grow in the things of him. And then we walk out and change the world around us. If I'm only coming to God when I need him. <laughs> Maybe if I found out if I'd just stay with God, I wouldn't need that much anymore. So that's that that's that's my heart and that's my intent is that we establish a kingdom lens, if you will. You know, if I was wearing a pair of glasses. I wear contacts, so I don't have my glasses on tonight. But if I put on, without my glasses, I can see one thing. And I can't see clearly. I can't see everything. I can't see exactly what it is. But then when I put those lenses on, things open up and it makes sense. And that's what the kingdom of God is meant to be, a lens through which we see the word, not just a theme or another topic that we hit on. If you don't want to hear the kingdom anymore, then don't come back to any more of these services because that's all we're going to talk about is the kingdom. We're going to drive this thing home. We're going to, and every speaker that we come in, I'm only bringing people in that know that lens and know that, 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 that pattern. And anybody we bring in, they're going to be right in this vein of the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. Pastor Earl, you know, wrote a book called The Forest. You've heard the saying, we miss the forest for the trees. We only see each individual tree. Well, faith is a tree. Patience is a tree. Peace is a tree. The Holy Spirit is a tree. But if you zoom out, you'd find that all these topics, all these themes, all these trees are in the forest of the kingdom of God. And that book's out there for sale if you want to grab it. And I'll tell him that I gave a little push for his material. But it's the truth. Go to, go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm excited, man. This is just, man. This is what this is the stuff I'm talking about. 
1 Peter chapter 1. You remember last night we talked about John chapter 3. We saw Jesus was having a conversation with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus said, you know, we see all these signs that you're doing. No, we know that no one can do these signs unless he's from God. And Jesus said, you say that. You, you, that's the truth. But he says, you can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Now, we think he was telling Nicodemus how to get saved, but in Jesus' mind, he wasn't talking to him about salvation. He wasn't talking to him about Christianity. This is how you get, this is how you become a Christian. You become born again. He was talking about entering a kingdom, entrance into a kingdom, being a part. He was saying, Nicodemus, you're seeing the signs, you're seeing shadow, but until you are born again, you can't see the kingdom that's casting that shadow. In essence, he's saying, until you're born again, you'll be a spectator. But becoming born again makes you a participator, gets you involved, allows you to enter and now be a part of what God is doing. In 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, I'm going to read in the, the CSB version, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth. Everyone say new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In the Passion Translation, they'll have it on the screen behind me. It reads this way. Celebrate with praises the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has shown us his extravagant mercy. For his fountain of mercy has given us new life. We are reborn. I love this statement. We are reborn to experience a living, energetic hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Does that sound like wallowing and waiting down here to die so we can go to heaven and be with him one day. That sounds like he meant something else different to me. We are reborn into a perfect inheritance that can never perish, never be defiled, and never diminish. It is promised and preserved forever. Here it is in the heavenly realm for you. Through our faith, the mighty power of God constantly guards us until our full salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. Know this, that what we experience down here is not the full consummation. When we get to the other side, we'll have the full totality of his redemption and his salvation. But that doesn't mean we can't experience what he's designed for us to experience here on this earth. That doesn't mean we can't walk in these promises and these blessings and these assurances and these confidences that the word gives us. doesn't mean that we have to sit by and by and just pack our bag bags waiting for the rapture or waiting until we expire from this earth. That means that I won't experience everything here in its perf perfect totality, but I'm going to experience as much as I can down here on this earth. One more. Read this in the Amplified, verse 3. Blessed, gratefully praised, and adored. Be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant and boundless mercy, has caused us to be born again. Here it is. That is, 
to be reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, and set apart for his purpose. To an ever-living hope and confident assurance through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, born anew into an inheritance which is imperishable, beyond the reach of change, and undefiled and unfading, reserved in heaven for you, who are being protected and shielded by the power of God through your faith for salvation that is ready to be revealed for you in the last time. In these verses, Paul is showing us that there is a hope and a glory and a manifestation that comes to our life when we are born again, when we receive new life, when we are saved, when we become a Christian, when we fellowship among the believers, whatever terminology, when you you follow in the way, when you become a part of the brethren, whatever term or, or, or explanation you want to give it, at the end of the day, it's all the same thing. Born-again believers that have been brought out of darkness into light. And, and, and Peter is showing us here that this, there's a glorious hope and manifestation that takes place in that moment. Jesus said that you must be born again to see or enter the kingdom of God. And now Peter is breaking this thing open for us in these three verses. And he's he's showing us that this is not something waiting for us in the by and by. That this is something we have access to here and now. And that there is provision. There is blessing. There's an inheritance, he says. A spiritual inheritance. And he says it's been prepared for you in a heavenly realm. Meaning this is not limited to natural capacities. I don't care what kind of natural inheritance you are left or is given to you or you've obtained or is waiting for you. It is matchless compared to the inheritance that heaven has for you. To the one that owns the cattle on a thousand hills, to the one that walks on streets of gold, the one that the the, the realm is filled with mansions, gates are made out of priceless uh, 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 ornaments and and jewelry and and stuff. I mean, you just read of the glory of heaven and it just gives you a glimpse of what he has. And he's saying that this blessed assurance, this inheritance is awaiting you, those that are born again. What does this mean to be born again? We said you've got to know your place. Last night we discovered you've got to first know the place, the kingdom of God. But what is your place in the kingdom of God? You prayed a prayer. You prayed a prayer of salvation. You prayed, uh, You know, whether it was out of fear of all you've done wrong, whether it was out of guilt and shame and condemnation, whether it was out of fear of going to hell, right? I've I've been in some of those services. The preacher can preach hell so well, you smell it, you feel it. Fire, hell, and brimstone, man. I mean, it will make you question everything. You get born again every Sunday. You'll go down to the altar, you'll weep and you'll cry and, and, and the church ladies will pray over you and they'll hold you down and you ain't getting up until they let you up and tongues are flying and there's all kinds of, whatever that experience was like for you, what did you really 
access. We have something here in America. And I say America because this ideology and this terminology um, is, is making its way around the world. But here in the United States of America, we have adopted what is called the evangelical gospel. The evangelical gospel. These guys are going to put a slide up behind me. Uh, it's also called the John 3.16 gospel. We can all quote that one, can't we? Sinners can quote John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that all who would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. So the evangelical gospel goes a little bit like this. You are a sinner going to hell. God loves you. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And if you believe in him, you will go to heaven when you die. Those four elements are the key basis, the key structure of the evangelical gospel. If you actually do the history on it, this gospel actually is not even that old. It actually only goes back to about World War II. And the emphasis and the reason why it evolved and the reason why it was introduced was because after World War II, our country hit a, a nature of industrialization and, and, and people were, uh, you know, gathering in large groups. There was a lot happening. And so this message was designed to communicate simplistically to the masses. They wanted, their efforts were genuine. Their hearts and their motives were genuine. It wasn't to water down the word. It wasn't to, to you know, carve out what things people don't like and only leave the stuff that people do like. And in its intentions and its efforts, it was designed that we could reach masses with a simplistic gospel. But its emphasis was on conversion, not conviction. The emphasis of the evangelical gospel or the John 3.16 gospel was this. To make converts, roll them out one after the other, after the other, after the other. But it did not have the emphasis on discipleship. And what happened over time is it emphasized conversion, minimized discipleship, and we got conversion, conversion, conversion. And then discipleship is like this little add-on if you really want to live seriously for God. Now, if, when, when I read my Bible in Mark 8, uh, 16 and Matthew 28, he, he didn't say go into all the world and make converts. It's to go into all the world and make, you know it, disciples. Followers, students, pupils, those that, that acclimate their lives to the following and teachings of Jesus. That was a disciple. You can't confuse that. A disciple is a disciple. And so this evangelical gospel, even though its intentions were pure and, and, and their motives were correct, what happened was we drilled down to kind of these minute, these these. Four little details. You are a sinner. Anybody ever get tracks or even handout tracks? Remember tracks? Remember as a child, you know, people would come. To, I grew up in Christian private schools, and they would come, and they would leave us with these tracks. And 
you know, it had the, the pictures, but these were the four main elements. You are a sinner, far from God. But God loves you. He sent his son Jesus to die for you. And if you'll believe in him, when you die, you've got somewhere to go to be with him. That was the emphasis of it. After those four points are given, then it's usually followed up with some form of a sinner's prayer. Confessing everything, all those four points. Father, I confess that I'm a sinner. I'm far from you. And I believe because of your love for me, you sent your son to die for me. Notice that we only emphasize the cross, not even the rest of it. Not even what happened after he died, defeating death, hell, and the grave, rising again after three days. Notice what I just read you in 1 Peter chapter 1. He never mentions the cross, and he only mentions the resurrection from the dead. Which one do you think we should be emphasizing? But we emphasize the cross and the bloodshed, and he died for you. That act of sacrifice. And if you'll believe, and so, Father, I believe that your son Jesus, he died for me. I confess my sins, and I believe that Jesus will come into my heart. Now, I know it sounds like I'm minimizing and, 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 and speaking condescending of, and, and we can have that attitude. We can have a cynical attitude about it. But at the end of the day, like I said, th- this was a true intention, and this was a true motive of winning people to Christ. But it just had its risks. It had its risks that we miss a lot. It was intended to simplify the gospel for the masses to be easily received in large groups. But at the end, it literally left no commitment to lordship or discipleship. In fact, a lot of these people that pray prayers don't even find a church body to get connected with and engaged with. Which is where disciples go to learn as students. So all these things become little add-ons. It's like, uh, you know, if you go, um, it's like going to Subway. And you've got the core of the sandwich that you want, but you pick what you want. And so we had this picket gospel. We had this Burger King gospel, make it your way. Hello? We're just preaching the truth. This is Kingdom Rise weekend. We're just preaching the truth. Church, uh, yeah, and then even church has its little boxes. How big it is, how small it is. How loud it is, how quiet it is. How dark it is, how bright it is. How many people of, of my demographic are there? How many people uh, of other demographics are there? Do they have young people? Do they have old people? What kind of ministries do they offer? Where is it located? Oh, I could go down all the little preferences I ought to just hand out a checklist and just say, check off the boxes of what you're looking for in church. But at the end of the day, church isn't a building. It's not an environment. It's not a, 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 a event on a calendar. <laughs> right? So we have this, I accept Jesus as my Lord or as my Savior, really. I accept Jesus as my Savior. I believe he died for me. Lordship's a whole other concept. And... Do I want to go to church? Do I want to pray? Do I want to read my Bible? How much do I want to read my Bible? Do I want to follow Jesus? Do I want to be a disciple? I have all these. Do I want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues? Do I want to believe in healing? Do I want to believe in the whole Bible? Do I want to read the Old Testament, the New Testament? We have all these boxes that come after a sinner's prayer. 
this is nothing like what Jesus preached. There, there's no element that's up there on that screen right now that is anything like what Jesus preached. When you're, when you're going to introduce the kingdom or you're going to bring the kingdom, you, you have to confront and challenge some things. That just comes with the territory. So I recognize that. I recognize preaching the kingdom means I got to say things that, you know, three-fourths of the room may say, ah, forget this. Jesus did it too. And then he turned to his disciples to say, you going to go too? <laughs> you going to leave too? So that just comes with the territory. But Jesus never preached about going to the cross. Never. You can't find it one time. Never preached. Uh, you're a sinner, far from God. If you'll believe in me, then I'm going to go and die on the cross for your sins. And that when you die, you'll go to heaven. He never preached about going to heaven. These are the elements that make up the, the, the bulk of what we preach and teach in churches today. And it wasn't a part of his gospel at all. You could even extend it beyond Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's not even in the New Testament. Now, those truths aren't false. It, it doesn't make them, I mean, all those statements are true. It just wasn't the formation of the gospel that we preach. Wasn't the, if you look at Jesus' ministry and his message and his mission, it was all about a kingdom. He was obsessed with it. He couldn't go anywhere and not talk about the kingdom. And he was always comparing it. The kingdom of God is like a pearl of great price. The kingdom of God is like a lost coin. The kingdom of God is like, a, 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 you know, the parable of the sower. All the parables and all the, 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 the things that he gave it, the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like that. Kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. Authority, authority, authority. Dominion, dominion, dominion. Domain, domain, domain. Territory, territory, territory. All of it was centered around kingdom. And he was talking about it to a people that understood kingdom. So they couldn't even mistake it. If I say kingdom in America, we don't understand kingdom because we vote. <laughs> we vote or should. <laughs> we have freedoms. This is my right. We talk about rights. We don't talk about duties. This is my civil right. We don't talk about our civil duties. Not going down that one today. I can't do them all tonight. Come on, I got I to gotta stay locked in. Got to stay focused. So when I say kingdom in United States of America, Democratic Republic, it doesn't register. That's why I said last night the two mentalities that will, that will get challenged and confronted is the religious mindset and the democratic mindset. The two people that have the hardest time with the kingdom of God are Pharisees, those that have a, a, a claim to a, a natural knowledge of God, but not the spiritual knowledge of God. Oh, they've studied it and they've learned it and they've gone to these schools and they've gone and they got the degrees and they can show you all the studies they can do, but they cannot manifest a healing or a miracle. They can tell you about it and tell you that it happened one day, and they can tell you that it'll happen one day in the future, but they can't produce it here and now. 
It's the Pharisees, it's the learned, it's the scholars, it's the ones that have a form of natural wisdom, not but refusing the spiritual wisdom. And the second one is American citizens. I could go preach about the kingdom in the Bahamas, and they get it because they were once a kingdom. I could go to the UK and preach. I could go around the world and preach this. And they'll, man, they'll hook, line, and sinker. I remember when Miles Monroe first brought the kingdom message to the United States. He said, it took me so long because this was the group of people that was going to have the hardest time receiving the kingdom message was the United States of America. So it's easy for us to accept this when we get to pick and choose because we live in a country of pick and choose. And if I don't like it, I'll pick and choose something different. But this, is, this has no form of resemblance to Jesus' message or the New Testament message. And the reason why we have to reveal that is because we'll never understand the kingdom of God or your place in the kingdom of God thinking that this is what you did. I was far. I prayed a prayer. Now I'm saved. So when I die, I go somewhere. Put up the next slide, Jesus' gospel. Let's just look at some of these contrasts. Jesus' gospel. Jesus' gospel was not about getting you into heaven, but getting heaven into you. We're going to break these down. wasn't about getting it there. It was about getting heaven into you. For the kingdom of God is within you. Number two, it's not about going up there, but it was about up there coming down here. Again, one of the biggest, it's why we ask people, if you died today, do you know where you would go? We start them out with an exit plan. Entrance into the kingdom starts with an exit out of this world. Is that interesting? Is anybody else grabbing this? This is, I'm telling you, man, this stuff makes my jaw drop every time I see it. It's just like, what in the world? Jesus' gospel was not about a transaction. I give you my sins and you give me your life. It was about transformation. It was about he died for me so I could live for him. You see the difference? Not transactional, like you're at a register handing over one thing and he's giving you another thing in return. This was about transformation of lives. Number four, was not about what God wants to do for us, but what God wants to do in us and eventually through us. But most people live for God as long as he's doing stuff for them or to get him to do stuff for them. But how many people say, I want you to do something in me, not just for me, not just pad my bank account, but teach me how to be a steward of finances for the kingdom of God. That's different. That's doing something in you, not just for you. See the difference? It's not about what happens when we die. It's what happens when we come alive. You see in this, this is the contrast between 
the American gospel or the, the, the minimal gospel, the John 3.16 gospel versus the kingdom message that Jesus came to preach. Lastly, it wasn't about going to church. It was more about being the church, being, living. The church is a living organism that ought to be infecting those around it in a healthy manner. Okay, so now that we know this, now that we've seen the contrast, Genesis chapter 1. Y'all all right? We still doing good? Y'all were all like, I got to go down to the altar, man. I don't know what I was doing when I prayed that prayer. I, we all getting born again tonight. We all doing it all over. We just, Lord, I'm going to make sure. <laughs> oh, man. Y'all want a baptism service tomorrow. Do, do it again, Pastor. Just take me under. It's okay. We're going to be all right. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion. Everyone say dominion. Over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created Man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. It says it twice, male and female. Then he lets you know, this wasn't just the gender thing. Both have the capacity to operate in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. But they both fall under the assignment of ruling, having dominion on the earth. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. That's why we have two different genders is so that we can be fruitful and multiply. He didn't just say, let's do male and let's throw some women in there. No, there's a command that's coming and I need to be able to put within them the ability to come together, form a union and follow the command of being fruitful and multiplying. So I need a male and I need a female. That's the design. That's the order. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion. Everyone say dominion. Over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Dominion means this. It means to govern. It means to manage. It means to rule. It means to oversee. The word dominion means to govern. means to manage. Manage it. It means to rule, to rule it. Tell it what to do, and it follows your command. And it means to oversee. means it's in your care. It's in your responsibility. It's in your oversight. Now, there's a key phrase that is used that we're going to go back to in verse 26 that we've got to highlight. It says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And then he gives instruction, let them have dominion. Let them have dominion requires according to our likeness. The statement, let them have dominion, cannot be said 
if we are not made in the likeness of God. So you have to understand, we're talking about know your place. You have to understand you are made according to God's likeness. Now, likeness is not just physical features and attributes, obviously. Just look around the room. We all do not share a lot of physical features and attributes. We've got short. We've got tall. We've got round faces. We've got rectangular faces. We've got different colors. We've got different color eyes. We've got different structures. Beyond that, we've got different gifts, talents, and abilities. Unique, distinguished, yet made in his likeness. So likeness must mean something different. Likeness means function or operation. I'm teaching for a moment, but let me break this down. According to our likeness means function and operation. Function and operation. So he's not speaking to physical, physical features and, and, and attributes. He's talking about how they talk, how they behave, how they respond, how they look at things, the perspective they use. He takes the invisible realm of heaven, creates a visible realm of earth. And he easily could have said, now I will rule the earth. And I will subdue the earth and I will have dominion over the earth. But he didn't. He said, I'm going to make a visible representation of my invisible self to rule the visible realm. So we have an invisible realm, heaven, kingdom of heaven. Invisible God, king of that realm, of that territory. He extends, because kings love to extend and expand their territory, to the natural visible realm that we call earth. And then he places a man and woman on that earth, a visible representation of himself. He says, what are we going to make them like? What are they going to look like? Us. He uses himself as the template for the model of what man and women are going to do on this earth. That's his plan. That's his purpose. That, that was God's original intent. Everyone say original intent. See, the purpose is always found at the beginning. Always, you got to go to Genesis. Can't just go to Matthew. Can't go to the Old Testament. Can't go to the writings of Paul. We got to go to the beginning. We got to start at the beginning. And he created this earth. He extended his kingdom to it. But he said, I'm not going to rule that territory. Man and female, male and female, humans are going to rule that territory. And that territory is going to respond. That, that territory is going to respond to their authority. You remember when uh, God brought the animals to Adam? Who called them? Who named them? Adam. You know, from that moment on, from Genesis 1.26 on, God wrote himself out of the capacity to rule in this environment. 
Oh, Pastor Marco, where are you going? He's sovereign. He's in control. God is in control. God is in control. God is in control. We've had that beat into us. God is in control. God is in control. Oh, he is. He's in absolute sovereign control of one thing. His words. So much so that when he speaks something, it cannot go, he cannot go back on it. He can't go back on it. And he spoke by words. Let us create man in our image according to our likeness. And as soon as the words slip, let them have dominion. Boom. Can't go back. Done deal. Nothing I can do. I'm God. I do not lie. My word becomes law. This is the way it has to be. Let them have dominion. Well, what if they mess up? Let them have dominion. What if they blow it? What if they get prideful? What if they get egotistical? What if they take this power and they do their own thing with it? Let them have dominion. Well, what if there's a Red Sea and we need to get across it? Let them have dominion. What if there's a giant named Goliath that's standing up against the Israelite army? Let them have dominion. What if we need to take this city? What if we need to tear down this wall? What if we need to do, what if we need to raise that person from the dead? What if this storm is trying to keep us from getting to the other side? What if there's leprosy? What if there's cancer? What if there's sickness? What if there's COVID? What if there's, let them have dominion. And it stops there. And God, in all his sovereign power, in all his controlling capacity, said, from this moment on, I have to go through man. And from Genesis 1, 26 on, anything that God wants done in this realm, he's looking for a male and female according to his likeness created in his image to bring the kingdom to the earth. Know your place. And Jesus spent his entire ministry demonstrating. You know, I, I wish that we had more examples from Adam and Eve. I wish that, that we could see the first Adam and the second Adam. But apparently they blew it so quick. Three chapters in. Not even three. I mean, two in a few verses. But at the end of the day, let them have dominion. Let them have dominion. Let them have dominion. Let them have dominion. So man sins. Man voluntarily transgresses. We've asked this question all the time. If you're new to Anchor Faith Church, it might be the first time you're hearing it, but we ask this question. In perfect state, Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, if man had never sinned, where would he be today? Ruling and reigning on the earth. Then why are we asking the question, where will you go when you? Why? Because we've accepted the form of gospel that requires as little responsibility out of us as possible. 
But yet this is the very thing he called us to rule and reign and be responsible for. Let me tell you this. When you get to heaven, you don't have any authoritative dominion or power. Where did he tell them to rule and reign? Who's ruling and reigning up there? That's like being given a job as a CEO and saying, I wish I could just be a clerk. wish I could just be a cashier so I didn't have as much responsibility. But you have the capacity to rule and reign and oversee the whole thing. I, I just, just give me the little, the little job at the bottom. <laughs> you know how many Christians do that? And they pull the prodigal son trick. Oh, if I could just come and be a slave in your house. Kidding me? You're an heir. You sinned and transgressed, but when you come back, you don't come back not a child. You're my son. You're not a slave. You're not even a servant. You're a son. Put the ring on his hand. Signifies his ability to rule and reign. Put the coat on his back, shows him what family he belongs to. Kill the fatted calf because we're going to celebrate the one has come back to rule and reign. He was lost, but now he's been found. That's what happens every time you and I step into our kingdom privilege and our kingdom responsibility. You get your ring back. You get the coat back. Man voluntarily transgresses. Because you can't remain in authority if you don't remain under authority. So the key was, you're in control and you have dominion there, but that doesn't put you in control of me. You follow my word and the earth follows your word. Hello. It does what you say when you do what I say. They voluntarily transgress. And now we got a predicament. Now we got a problem. God's got a problem. You might not think God has problems, but he's, he's got a big one here. Got a problem because I'm the only one that can redeem them. But according to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, I'm the only one that can't redeem them. What do we do now? They've messed this up royally. Literally, royally. We've messed this up. So God doesn't just say, well, I'll just come down to the earth and fix this. I'm all-powerful. I'm omniscient. I'm, I'm omnipotent. I'm all-knowing. I can be anywhere I need to be at any moment. I, I, I've got all power in all the universe. I'm sovereign. I'm in control. Let me just handle this by myself. You guys just step aside. Is that what he does? He says, I got to find a way to get myself in the earth. The only ones that have dominion and authority on the earth is flesh. God is spirit. John chapter 4 tells us that God is a spirit and we worship him in spirit and in truth. So by his own words, he can't step in and intervene on our behalf. This is a problem. So he says, okay, I'm going to let them figure it out on their own. Make their path to me. And we have the Old Testament. We have the law. We have man's best attempt, although futile, at reconciling back to their 
nature with God. But it still didn't work. In fact, it created a religious group that were attempting to be everything God wanted them to be, but by their own standard and by their own measurements rather than his. And it only revealed the the need for a savior anymore. It actually only revealed we're sinners. We don't have any hope. We're stuck. God, please do something. The whole Old Testament is, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. Uh, Forget it. It's like you're stuck under weight. It's like, oh, I'm trying, I'm almost there. Forget it. And you're crushed by the weight. By the time we get to Malachi, they're so crushed that God has silenced his voice for over 400 years, not even talking anymore. No prophet, no priest, no king. God's people, God's nation is just in absolute disarray. Even though he tried nation after, he tried to start over with, in Genesis chapter 9 with Noah. He tried to start over in Genesis chapter 12 with Abraham. I'll make you a father of many nations. He tried to start over with Moses. Get out of the way. I'll wipe the whole group. I'll start over with you. He was always trying to start over. Notice that God was never, never said, forget this whole thing. Let's all go to heaven. Adam and Eve were not wandering around the garden saying, when's Jesus coming? When's Jesus coming? When's our Savior coming? When's our Deliverer? Their only mentality was bring the kingdom, bring the kingdom, bring the kingdom. Authority on earth, authority on earth, domain, territory, rule, reign, govern, manage, oversee, my responsibility. I mean, it was their fault that they listened to the snake. Right? And God didn't need to do anything about the snake. All they needed to do was just honor God's word, and they would have been in right alignment, and the snake would have never touched them. Why are we afraid of what the devil's going to do or the devil roaming around like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour? He can't touch you if you remain in alignment with the word. He can try to put it on you. He can bring the thought. He can try to bring you anxiety and fear and all these other things, but he cannot literally harm your body unless you give him entrance into it. Why alignment with the word of the king is so important because you don't know what kind of protection over your life that's doing. I don't believe in that tithing mess. And you just gave the devil, the enemy, access to your finances right there. But he says, if you'll tithe, I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake. And he can be in there trying to roam and reign and try to eat your crop and eat your seed and do all that stuff. But he can't touch it if you remain in alignment with my word. So we get all the way to Matthew and we got a problem. Man's only further away than they were in Genesis chapter 3. We've only messed this thing up even worse because now we've created religious people that think they're followers of God and they're not. That's even worse than just recognizing I'm a sinner and lost is being deceived into thinking you're righteous and you're not. That, that, we've created a whole other mess. So God says, I got to find a way to get myself in the earth. So he takes spirit, combines it with humanity, Jesus. And now Jesus becomes the answer of redemption for you and I. In Colossians chapter 1, see, even when God wanted to redeem the earth, he still had to find a man. Why? Because he had to honor his word. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, let them rule and have dominion. I don't have access in that territory unless a man is submitted to me. Colossians chapter 1 tells us, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He's qualified us to be partakers of this inheritance, this great inheritance. Not the 
If you die, you'll go to heaven inheritance. The come alive on this earth, be filled with the Spirit of God and do the works of the kingdom. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom. Do you see that? doesn't say conveyed us into Christianity. doesn't say he conveyed us into when we die, we go to heaven. Conveyed us into the kingdom of what? Of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. The Passion Translation reads, Your hearts can soar with joyful gratitude when you think of how God made you worthy to receive the glorious inheritance freely given to us by the living in the light. He has rescued us completely. Everyone say completely. There's not any part of you that was left in the world, left a sinner that he couldn't get access to. He did it all. From the tyrannical rule of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom realm. Oh, you were brought into way more than sitting down here and watching the world waste away while doing nothing about it. And when you die, go and sit with him and be with him. This is way more than that. For the son of, uh, for in the son, all our sins are canceled and we have the release of redemption through his very blood. Many of you have seen me use this example before. If I take this Bible, it's sitting on this podium, and this Bible falls to the ground, and I pick up the Bible, and I place it over here on this speaker, simple question, not a trick question, it's easy. Have I restored the Bible? Have I redeemed the Bible? Where does it need to be to be restored? Back where it was to what? When it started, back to where it started, back to where it, did you start in heaven? Then why are we trying to go there? This tells me I've been redeemed. This tells me I've been restored. This tells me I've been bought back. This tells me I've been placed back in the place where I originally started. That's why I had you repeat after me and say original Intent. The original intent was for male and female to be on this earth, ruling and reigning, dominion, governing, controlling, managing, overseeing this realm as he oversees us, we oversee the earth. So if he's redeemed me, I fell. We fell from this position, fell to this position, and he says, ah, oh, just bring you to heaven. Then the Bible's lying. I'm not been redeemed. I've been misplaced. I mean, you might want to go to, you might think heaven's a better place. You might want to go to that realm. You might want to go to that territory. But you're not restored until you are put back where you were first placed. Know your, know your, know your place. And your place is not in heaven. That's why I said this January 21, 22, launching these Kingdom Rise weekends, it all hinges on you getting this right here. And I hope you're getting this, man. I hope this is registering. I'm doing it as passionately and, and, and with as much clarity and yieldedness to the Holy Spirit that I can. I hope you're gaining that your place, when you were born again, 
bought again, renewed. He said, you cannot see or enter the kingdom of God. You will, you will be, you can applaud, you can observe, you can watch from a far off distance. But until you see and enter the kingdom of God, you cannot participate and do those things. And so Jesus's life, this is the great thing about Jesus. Jesus did not do what he did on this earth as God. If Jesus did what he did as deity, then there's no hope for me. He's 100% God, 100% man. But he didn't do what he did as God. Jesus did what he did as a man, submitted to the Father, empowered by the Spirit. Jesus did what he did as a man, humanity, flesh, submitted to the Father, empowered by the Spirit, anointed. Jesus went about all the villages, teaching the kingdom of God and healing all that were sick and oppressed of the devil. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. How Jesus went about doing good and healing all that were sick and oppressed for God was with him. Because he was anointed. In Luke chapter 4 he said, for the spirit of the Lord is upon me. That right there is a dangerous statement. It's dangerous. He didn't say, I do what I want to do whenever I want to do it. He said, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I'm not here on my own initiative. He told John the Baptist, you have to baptize me because it will fulfill the word. If I go out here and start doing works as God, then I'm going to diminish what my purpose is in this earth. And not, I'm not giving anybody else any other chance to do what I'm doing. I'm the only one that can run around and heal the sick and raise the dead and cancel storms and, 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 and do all the other works he did, casting out demons, destroying the works of the devil. But he said, no, 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 I have to submit to the word. I have to submit to my father and I have to receive the spirit. It's two primary things that you have to do. You have to submit to the father and you have to receive the spirit. John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 12. I hope, I hope, I hope you're getting this. Know your place. John chapter 14, verse 12. I'm going to read it in the Passion so it's on the screen behind me. I tell you this timeless truth. Timeless. Meaning this is the way it's always going to be. It's never not going to be this way. <laughs> That's what that says. Timeless. This is the truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Timeless. The person who follows me in faith, believing in me, will do the same mighty miracles I do. Now either he's just off his rocker, Forgetting that he's 100% God, although 100% man. And that we can't really do 
or he's speaking something and saying, doing the works of the kingdom is expected of every kingdom believer. What's the qualifier? If you believe in me, if you follow me, if you submit to my father and are empowered by my spirit. And these signs will follow the fivefold ministry. And these signs will follow the super spiritual ones. These signs will follow those that want to do it. These signs will follow them who believe. Believe. And even greater works. Even greater miracles than these because I go to be with my father. Now that's an interesting statement. He says, because I go, because I go and I'm with my father. Why is that important? Remember, we're bringing heaven into this realm. We're bringing the king. Where's the father? In heaven. Because I go to be with my father. Oh, so Jesus is left. Jesus is in heaven. And we're left in the earth. Okay, so how am I going to get heaven into the earth? He's in heaven. I'm in the earth. How does that help me? Because I go to be with my father. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's try to dial this in right here, right now. Drive this home. Ephesians chapter 1. Because I go to be with the father. Because I go to be with the father. Hmm. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. Paul writes, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. There it is again, power following believing. Who would have known that you could believe more than just he comes and lives in my heart? Which isn't even in the Bible. Jesus comes and lives in your heart. Where do we get these statements from? I understand the intention again. I understand the goal and the purpose that you're having this, this personal. But there's more to this. When I believe in him, power follows that. The greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. Seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. In the what realms? Heavenly realms. Not earthly realms. I can't access heavenly things from just a natural perspective. I've got to have access to the heavenly realm. And now it says Jesus has been seated with him at God's right hand in heavenly realms. And he's far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. How, if I just ask the question, how many of us believe Jesus has full authority? How many of us believe that Jesus is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else? We believe that verse. Verse 21, we believe that. We believe that there's nothing that... Jesus is subjected to other than his father. Is Jesus subjected to sickness? 
Is Jesus subjected to lack? Is Jesus subjected to depression? Is Jesus subjected to fear? Is there anything that Jesus does not have ruling, reigning power over? Do we, we believe this? I, I'm asking. I'm serious. Do we believe that verse in its totality? God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head. Everyone say head. Head over all things for the benefit of the church. Whoa. I thought you were talking about Jesus. Why, why are you involving me, man? I, I, I just want to pray a sinner's prayer. And I just want to die and go to heaven. That, I, where, where, what, what are you talking about? He's the head. Over all things for the benefit of the church. Verse 23. Uh, and the church is... And the church is his body? Wait, 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 wait. All things are under Jesus. All things are subjected to Jesus. We have no problem believing that. We, we all agreed. And all things are under his feet. We all agree. Come on, come on, come on. You're, 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 it's, I see it, light bulbs are popping. It's coming on. You're getting there. Now, now I, don't, I don't know about you. I don't know about you. 38 years old, I've lived on this planet for 38 years. I cannot think of one time, one time in my entire existence where my head has gone somewhere my body didn't. I mean, am I missing something? I, I mean, hold on a minute. Hold, wait a minute. Last time I checked, anywhere the head wanted to go, the body went with it. So unless Jesus is decapitated, his head is in heaven and the church is, or the church is here and the head is, hold, wait a minute, hold on. Hold on. I have, we have no problem believing Jesus is the head. We have no problem believing Jesus is in all authority and all rule. We have no problem believing that everything is under. But then if I replace that and say the church is in authority, that there's nothing that the church should be subjected to. Unless Jesus is decapitated, and somehow his head is operating without a body. I, I think, I mean, I'm just putting two and two together now. I, I think we're there too. Now all of a sudden, these works that I do, they will do, and even greater works, all of a sudden make sense. You want revival? Get revelation first. Quit asking for miracle signs and wonders and start living in them on a daily basis, recognizing I'm with the head. I mean, if, if your head's gone anywhere without your body, 
please come forward. We'll pray for you. We'll have a testimony service. It's never, it's never happened. It's never happened. It's a timeless truth. These works that I do, you will do. Why aren't we seeing them? Awareness. They're happening. People are still being raised from the dead today. Blind eyes are still being opened today. Deaf ears are still being opened today. Why aren't we seeing it? Maybe you want to see the miracle more than you want to see the Father. Because miracles are only a sign that points to him. Maybe we're not aware as much. Because we don't speak against headache. Headaches, we take ibuprofen. I'm just being real. I'm just being honest now. There's all sorts of reasons. Why did grandma die? Why didn't they live? We pray. We believe. This is what I know. I never have to work on the giving side of God. But I got to work on the receiving side of man. And I can ask those questions all day long. We've been there. We've been there. But Jesus never taught us how to deal with unanswered prayers. I know we have them, but he didn't tell us what to do with them. For, for Jesus, the kingdom was something that was supposed to be absolutely evident in this realm and in this territory. Paul's not done in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God is so rich in mercy and he loves us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, so he's acknowledging, yeah, you were far. We missed the mark, man. We, we, we weren't even anywhere close. We weren't even on the equation. We weren't in the ballpark. We, we had no right to this. He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. He's recognizing if we're not careful, this stuff will put us into pride. Remember, you didn't get there on your own. You got there because of him. Where did I get? Verse 6. He raised us up from the dead along with Christ. You should circle, highlight, underline that word with Christ. And seated us with, circle, highlight, underline the word with him. Where? Where? Is the Bible lying or is it telling the truth? With him in the heavenly realms because we are united. Circle, highlight, underline the word with Christ. Three times in one verse we see with. With him. Last time I checked, the head cannot be separated from the body. Where he is, so am I. And these works that I do, even those who believe in me will do even the works that I do and even greater works because I go to the Father. He wasn't just talking about leaving the earth. In fact, you could put it this way. Jesus has never left the earth. He's still here. See, Ephesians 2, 6 is a little harder to swallow than Ephesians 1, 21. That's why we don't see miracle signs and wonders. That's why we're not seeing the kingdom advance and the kingdom come. 
is because we believe Jesus is with the Father, all power, all authority, everything subjected to him. But then we get down to Ephesians 2, 6, and our evangelical gospel has a hard time swallowing, I'm seated with Christ. I ruin reign with him. It destroys my pray a sinner's prayer, and uh, when I die, I go to heaven one day. It wrecks all that. It, it obliterates it into pieces. It's not even recognizable anymore. Now I have to accept the fact that Jesus, through his church, the body left in the earth, is still working in humanity, in this natural realm. And his kingdom is intervening and interceding and invading. You want revival? Get revelation. Tommy, if you'd go ahead and come. I'll give you one more verse and we'll shut this thing down. I thank you for listening. I thank you for being attentive. Those of you that have children, please thank our child care team, our ministry team, for what they're doing. Matthew chapter 16. Every time I preach this, it's as, as, as if I'm preaching it for the first time. Both of these gentlemen here, Pastor Frankie, Pastor Tyler, the Vision Church in Northgate, I've, I've preached this message in their church. Every time I preach it, it's still just as real and raw. And Matthew chapter 16, verse 17, Jesus replied, You are favored and privileged, Simeon, son of Jonah, for you didn't discover this on your own. My Father in heaven has supernaturally revealed it. Everyone say revealed. Say revealed. Everyone say revealed it to you. I give you the name Peter, a stone, and this rock will be the bedrock foundation on which I build my church. My legislative assembly. Wait a minute. Church isn't a religious term? It's not a Christian term? It's a government term. We are here to literally enact heaven on earth. That's what Jesus meant when he said that. If you see it as a religious term, it means we've got the wrong lens. We're still carrying that religious lens. From this moment on, when you see the word church, hear the word church, it should be through a kingdom lens. That's the ecclesia. That's the called out ones. Those are the ones that are literally legislating the kingdom of heaven in their realm and in their territory. You hear the word church and you think somewhere I got to be at 1030 on Sunday morning. You ain't got it yet. You hear the word church and you think that building down there with the sign. You haven't got it yet. You hear the word church and you think a body of people that belong to another government. Ambassadors from another realm. Then it's, it's starting to click. This is what he says about his church. It'll be a place that they go on Sunday morning and worship together and serve. Hear three points of prayer, an email and a joke. Give their tithe and offering. 
get out just in time to hit the buffet before anybody else. Which church will get out first? No. He says, and the power. And the power of death will not be able. He immediately assigns power to the church. I will give you the keys of heaven's kingdom realm. I mean, I'm not making this up. This is in the Bible, y'all. I will literally give you the keys to king, the heaven, heaven's kingdom realm. And you will forbid on earth that which is forbidden in heaven. And you will release on earth that which is released in heaven. I like to call Matthew chapter 16. Genesis 126, 2.0. That verse is Genesis 126 all over again. I create them in my likeness and image, and then I give them the capacity to rule and reign on this planet. Now, I know you want to go up to SGMC and you want to pray for every single person in there, empty the hospital. But we can only operate in the capacity of revelation that we have attained to. Not knowledge and information. If you want to go and try to get knowledge and information, you can go ahead and go down the path of the Pharisee and the Sadducee. You could be like Simon trying to buy this thing. I want that power. Give me that power. No, no, no. It only comes by revelation. He told Peter, my father in heaven revealed this to you. You want to walk in those things? Get revelation. You want to see revival? Get revelation. So when we engage in these Kingdom Rise weekends, when we're taking this time to be here, I know it's almost 9 o'clock. I know we've kept you longer than maybe you expected, but that's what we're here for. We're here to gain revelation of the Word. I'll do it in the best possible oratorical capacity and way that I can in, in my ability and in my study, but at the end of the day, it's the Holy Spirit that's got to drop this in your spirit. And we prayed for you, 5.30 to 6.30 this afternoon. We prayed that the spirit of, wisdom and under, of re, spirit of wisdom and revelation would give you access to the knowledge and understanding that heaven has for you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithaboutaustin.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.